welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Let's pray. Father, we're, uh, we're very thankful to be here as your people, um, to be a family of faith, to be those whom you've brought together by your Spirit, to live out this Christian life together. And we just pray, Lord, that each one of us, not just me, but each one of us tonight would be a blessing to one another, that your gifts would be evident as we gather, as we're kind of hanging out afterwards, that, that the gifts of your spirit would be evident and used, and that everyone that came here, Lord, would leave knowing that they had encountered you, the living God, through, through the teaching of your word, through worship, through prayer, through reading of scripture, through all the gifts of all the people you've gathered here, Lord. We just pray that we would be a compelling picture of your son, Jesus, that you would make us clearly his body. We know that we are his body on earth. We pray that you would make that reality very clear to us, that we would see your wisdom in this design and that we would live in it. We pray that you do all this for the glory of your son, Jesus, and for the joy of your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we started last week in Romans chapter 12, and we're basically we're starting the last third of Romans, and Romans has kind of divisions to it, and we saw that the first 11 chapters that we already covered were really about the gospel. They're really about what God has done in Christ for us and is doing and will do in Jesus. So all the works of God in, in the first 11 chapters. And then now in these last five chapters, they're largely about how we respond to God. Did you notice how many commands were in that reading? It's a totally different feel from chapter 11 or chapter 10 because we're seeing how should we respond to the grace of God. And we can see the way it begins in verse 1, chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, that, that we would see God's grace and his mercy for us in the gospel, and that in response, the only reasonable thing, guys, is that we would give our whole lives as a living sacrifice. When we see how he's loved us, the only reasonable response would be to give our whole lives as a living sacrifice. And that sacrifice we looked at last week, there's different types of sacrifices in the Old Testament. This living sacrifice that we're called to offer to God is not a sin offering because Jesus has already made the sin offering. It's like in the Old Testament, an offering of thanksgiving. And we're not doing this to earn anything with God because Jesus has done it all. We are giving him our lives as an offering of thanksgiving. It's totally appropriate. So all of our obedience to God, guys, is motivated by Jesus and what he's done for us in the gospel. And so last week, um, we saw that if we're going to do that, if we're going to offer our lives as a, a living sacrifice, verse 1, we're going to have to change from the inside out. Because there's a lot of us in here, there's lots of parts of us that are not in line with the things of God. And so verse 2 says that we need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we won't be conformed to the culture. We saw last week that there is a constant daily battle of discipleship in your life. I've got a slide for it here that I'll bring up in a second. But the culture is seeking to disciple you every day. The culture has certain things it wants to teach you. A disciple means student, and the culture wants to make you a student of its ways. Jesus wants you to make a student of his ways. And so there's a daily battle of discipleship. And that's what makes it so hard for to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. In other places, the threat of leaving Christ, the threat of not following him comes in the form of persecution. Think about our brothers 
and sisters that are in places like Afghanistan or North Korea or places China, places like that. Our attack is a lot more subtle. The attack on us is the way we think, the way our minds get conformed to the way the world thinks. One pastor put it this way. He said, Christians like us aren't being persecuted. We're being digested. We aren't being persecuted. We're being digested. It's the difference between being shredded by lions and being slowly digested in a Venus flytrap. Right? It's a slow process, but it's just as effective. And the culture is doing this, is trying to disciple us in these ways through a slow process. In our text tonight, we're going to see that the starting place of being transformed by the renewal of our minds is our view of ourselves, that's in verse 3, and our view of the church, that's verses 4 through 8. So we're just going to look at 3 through 8. So first, our view of ourselves. If we're going to be transformed by the renewal of our mind and not conform to the ways of the world, then we're going to have to change the way we think about ourselves. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The major risk here, guys, right from the beginning of chapter 12 is that we're going to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. To think that you're better, to think that you're more moral, to think that you're more strong, to think that you're more wise than the other people, especially the other people in the body, to be prideful. And Paul sees it as a type of intoxication. He says it's not according to sober judgment. You know, you've gotten a little high on yourself, right? You've gotten a little intoxicated about the way you think about yourself. And it's tricky, guys, because the culture is constantly trying to get you to think that way, right? You know, you follow your dreams. You follow your heart. You follow your desires. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise, you know? There's constantly that message that, like, you know what's best for you and you should do it. And a lot of times we don't, right? How many of you guys have had life situations where all of a sudden you realize you thought you were on like the best path. You thought you were like totally doing everything that was going to lead to success. And you realize this was a total disaster. And people told you, but you believed in yourself, right? And so the danger here is that we would be intoxicated with ourselves. And, you know, the culture has spiked the punch bowl, right? We're constantly calling us to, to be impressed with ourselves. And Paul sees a particular kind of proud Christian here, one who doesn't think that he needs others in the body. And we can see that from the context, and I'll show you why. The beginning of verse 4 starts with the word for, okay? Starts with the word for. So here's the flow. Verse 3 says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think with sober judgment. And then verse 4 starts with for, and then he talks about how we are a part of the body. He's linking those two things. The way in which we could be proud is to think we don't need the body, and it's a very common type of foolishness among Christians. It's very easy to fall into. We've all fallen into it. Proverbs 18.1 is beautiful on this. It says this, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. It's a great companion to this, right? I'll read it again. For the people in the back, not that you need it more. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Verse 3 says that it's pride and poor judgment to think we don't need each other. When I say each other, we're not just talking about the church generally. We're not talking about the local church generally. We're talking about the people in this room. They're here. You can see them. You know? We have been told by the culture that somehow we don't need each other. We don't really need each other to make it firm until the end. And the Bible says that that is pride. And that's foolishness. But this is what the culture tries to convince us, right? It's the, it's the enemy's attempt, I believe, through our culture. It's the enemy's attempt to chop up the body of Christ 
and then attack them individually. It's divide and conquer, right? You guys have all seen those nature documentaries, right? Where, you know, the helicopter is going over the Arctic and there's the caribou and they're all running and the wolves are behind them, you know, and they're running and they're running and they're running and things are going good. And then you see the little one that goes this way. And what do you think? Dead, right? I don't want to watch any more of this. But that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to divide and conquer, chop up the body of Christ, get them thinking very individualistically, and then gobble them up separately. And guys, by the way, I think this is really important for you guys to know. Churchless Christians are a huge part of our mission field. And I guess you guys have noticed that. But a huge part as you go out and you share the gospel and you're trying to connect people to the body of Christ, a huge part of our mission field here is actually churchless Christians. We need to learn how to challenge them. And we need to learn how to challenge them in a way that doesn't sound legalistic or just like we're wanting them to check off a box. We have to come up with a way to speak persuasively to say, you need the body. Like, this is not biblical. You guys realize the New Testament knows nothing of churchless Christians. It's not even a category. In the New Testament, there'd be two ways you might end up outside the church. Either apostasy, which means you left the faith, or excommunication, meaning you were kicked out. There weren't people that excommunicated themselves because it was, like, more fun on Sunday to do something else. You know, like, this isn't a thing. There were no churchless Christians. And I think that's something to share with people. It's something that the culture is teaching us, and we believe it. I believe it. You know, like in me, I feel like I could do it alone. We're all infected with that idea, I think. I know I am. I've got a preaching summit here. Here I am. You know, but I can feel it. It's not like it's something I can't understand. You know, that you would think, I could just be at home, me and my family, me and my Bible, you know, me and some messages online, and I'll be fine. That seems persuasive, but the the Bible says foolishness. It's prideful thinking. And so it's something that we need to help people to see. Because the way our culture trains us, we're going to have all kinds of excuses why we don't commit to the gathering weekly of the body. We're going to think that we're too busy. Anybody too busy? Too busy? You're too busy too. Yeah, but you're here. You get an F in cultural discipleship. Obviously, the culture did not train you well. Here you are. You too busy? You know, some of us are too disappointed. We're too disappointed in the church, you know, or we're we're too introverted, too introverted for it. I'm a special case. Or we're too tired. Anybody too tired? I'm too tired. Okay, we've got a lot of these. Um, Too important? Anybody too important? Okay, you're too important? Okay, we got somebody honest over there. You know, there's people that are too hurt. There's people that are too smart. And too smart is like, I looked at all the churches and there's no good church in the valley. And it's like, really here? In this valley? You can find a church? That's amazing. You must have very particular tastes because there's a lot of churches that says, you know, maybe I'm too smart for this. Or maybe you're too strong. You're going to be solid with Christ to the end. You don't need any help. But that's what the culture tries to teach us. And really thinking like that, guys, is thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, not with sober judgment, and it's pride. I'm sorry you raised your hand and then I called you prideful. But what will free us from this pride? Paul actually gives us help. Not only does he tell us, like, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, he actually gives us help in two ways. The two ways are actually doctrine. Isn't this fun? The two solutions to this are doctrine of grace and doctrine of the church. That if we thought rightly about grace and we thought rightly about the church, it would help us a lot. First, I see the doctrine of grace. Take a look at verse 3. 
By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It's that last part, that we need to think of ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What does that mean? All the riches we have, guys, all the best things you have, all the greatest gifts, all the riches you have in Christ were given to you by faith, right? Whether it's salvation or the communion with God that you have, or the spiritual gifts you have, you receive that all by faith. And guess what? That faith itself is a gift of God, right? Faith is not something of ourselves. It is a gift of God. And when we see that, it humbles us, right? The most important things about your identity, the most important things you have, the best things you have were given to you by faith, and that faith itself is a gift. And so what do we have to be arrogant about? Paul said it this way in another passage. He says, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? It's a great question, right? Like, what are you boasting about if all this was grace? Guys, the doctrine of grace frees us from pride and it frees us from not being here for each other. It frees us to be here for each other. When we talk about the call to, to be a part of the local church and to use your gifts, it all sounds so theoretical. It's these people, look around. These are the people. This is very like straightforward. It's like, oh, I don't know what the local church is. I don't know what you're talking about. They're the people right here. And some of them that are like right over there, okay, taking care of the kids. But it's these people. And the doctrine of grace frees us from the pride that keeps us from being there for each other. We have to be there for each other. Next thing, doctrine of the church. Paul says the doctrine of the church is a solution to the pride that keeps us from being a body. And we can see that in, the, in verse 4 because it begins with the word for. So he's talking about pride, and he's going to talk about the solution. He says, for as in one body we are many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So he says, don't think too highly of yourself, verse 3, because you were made to function as a part of the body. So how does this work? Well, the power of pride is broken when we see that we're we're basically useless apart from the body. Like if you're a body part as a Christian, you're basically useless apart from the body. You're like, whoa, that's a little strong. But isn't that the way bodies work? Right? And doesn't that help with your pride? We actually need the bodies to function. He's got a great image here. He talks about the church as a body. And, you know, of course, the human body says we're, we're diverse. We have we have many members, and the members don't all have the same function, and that's the way your body is, right? Your body is a unity of diversity. That's a good thing. That inside of you, it's not all the same kind of parts. You've got different organs. You've got different body parts and stuff like that. It would actually be a very bad thing if your body was unified in sameness, right? If your body was unified in sameness, you know what that's called? It's called cancer, okay? When a cell reproduces itself and it becomes big masses of the same kind of cell, and what he's saying is that the, the healthy body of the church is a body of diverse people, diverse parts, all serving one another. We're not clones. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't have the same views on things, that's for sure. And, uh, and so we, there's a, a diversity. But then there's a unity, which is really beautiful. There's a unity. So we're one body with diverse parts. And Paul focuses on the unity of the body here when he says that we're a body. And I think this is really important, guys. I mean, think about it. When God caused you to be born again and he made you a new creation, he didn't make you as an individual body of Christ, okay? Like, you're a body of Christ and you're a body of Christ and you're a body of Christ and you're a body of... I feel like I'm giving away cars. You're a body of Christ, you're a body of Christ. That's not the way he made us, right? What did he make us? 
parts of a body. Isn't that interesting? You're a hand, you're a foot, you're an ear. I won't say what you are. You know, you different body parts, right? He made us, guys, parts of a body. He designed us to thrive and function linked and interdependent, right? And that's totally counter to the way the culture has told you because the culture tells you all the time, and I know because it tells me too, teaches you that you have everything you need inside you. And you certainly have everything you need in your family, in your home. Just you and your home. You guys are self-sufficient. You don't really need other people outside. You don't need the church. The church is a nice add-on when convenient and when it helps you accomplish your life goals and improve your mood. Right? The church is a great add-on when it's convenient, when it helps you accomplish your life goals and boosts your mood. Right? Would you say that's the basic view of the church? That's the basic cultural view of the church. But guys, the local body is is a need. You know, people say, well, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Have you guys heard that? You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Now, at some point, somebody started saying that for a good reason. But that's way expired, okay? Like, that thing's really past its shelf life. You know, people say, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. To which I would say, you don't have to be attached to an arm to be a hand either. Let that sit, okay? You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to be attached to an arm to be a hand either, right? Let that sit. This is you apart from the church. So cool thing about my family. So this afternoon, I'm like, started talking about the severed hand analogy. I think it'd be cool. My daughter's like, I have one. And I was like, cool, you know, like, and she does. She had a severed foot too. And so I'm going to set this here. I should have a trigger warning. You guys, you guys like that? Trigger warning? Everybody okay? Okay. I'm going to put it right here. It might come back. Guys, if you're a Christian, you are a part of Christ's body, right? You must find a body to attach to. Okay? So this is helpful, isn't it? You became a Christian. You became a hand or some other part. You must find a local body to attach to. Okay, this is not a thing, okay? This is not do anything. It needs to be attached to the body. And that's what he's saying here. He didn't probably have one of those when he was teaching and stuff, but the the idea is here, is that if you're a Christian, you're a part of the body. Otherwise, you're a severed hand. And you know what humility knows? Humility knows that that's you. You know know that if you're humble. Humility tells you, yes, I need the body. You know, I don't care what the culture says. I need to be attached to a local body. The proud don't according to Paul. And the way we attach is really amazing. This is super cool. So look at verse four again. For as in one body, we have many members. You'll never see this verse, you know, the same. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Okay, so there's something really cool, but it's kind of hidden right in front of you about how we connect. Like, how does that hand connect to the arm? And like, how do I connect to the body and all these things? And it's, it's this little word and it's in. Look at where it says that you are one body in Christ. Okay, that word in is actually hugely important. Every time Paul talks about being in Christ, he's talking about union with Christ. Okay, so what happens is, and I have a slide for this too. I have a picture and it's a diagram. Do you guys have a picture? Okay, cool. Show them the first picture. Okay, cool. I made this. I know. Just like last week, you're like, where does he steal these? Is he this is some sermon site that he buys his sermons off of and he gets graphics too? It's incredible. 
Such a small church. It's amazing. Okay, so when you came to Christ, when you were born again, you got united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. So that's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The second one, Spirit. Maybe you should have used an H. But the Holy Spirit is in you, right? He dwells in you. And because the Holy Spirit is God and God is triune, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and the Holy Spirit dwells in heaven with the Father and the Son. And so you are connected to Christ all the time. And that's why Ephesians says weird things like that you are already seated in the heavenly places. You're like, it doesn't look like it. You are because you're united to Christ. You're where he is and he is in you always. Christ is in you. We talk about Jesus coming to your heart and things like that. Jesus isn't literally in your heart. He is in you by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that connects you to Christ. And But what's really cool is, that is cool. What's also cool is the next one is that he also does this with every other believer. So if we think about all of us in here, yes, here it is. So every believer that comes to Christ, everybody that comes to Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within them, connecting them to Christ by the Holy Spirit. And what's cool is that this actually connects us to each other. You could actually draw like a circle around all these people that we have this thing, which we sing about, the communion of the saints, right? We have union with Christ, and we all do. So we actually have communion with one another through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? So when that hand or whatever, I won't bring it back out, attaches, we are attaching to one another, guys, by the Holy Spirit. This isn't like we're attached to each other just by our commitment to the church or, you know, all these things. There is an actual connection here. If we could see in the spiritual realm, I would see the Holy Spirit in all of you connecting you up to Christ who's in heaven, and we'd all be tangled up together in this communion in the Holy Spirit. And that's a real thing. That's more real than the things you see because he's God that does this. And so it's, this is amazing, okay? So this is the connection. This is, look at verse four again. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Our union with Christ makes us one body, one communion. And humility, guys, is realizing that God has designed you to be functional only in a local body of Christians. And you can tell if you have that humility, if you act upon it. So how do we act upon it? That's verse six. Check it out. Verse six. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Okay, that's the command in the text, use them. Every Christian, guys, has gifts. The Greek word is charismata. This isn't a full list of gifts. If you go in 1 Corinthians 12, you'll see a whole bunch more. And that's probably not even all the list of gifts. I'm not going to go through all these gifts and what they mean and all this stuff because I just did that. You guys remember Ascension Sunday we did this? So I actually have audio I'll email it to you where we went through all the gifts. And I'm not going to go into either why I believe that all these gifts continue. I believe all these gifts continue. None of them have ceased. And you can listen to that audio. I'll email it to you guys if you want that. The important part is to focus on the command here, which is use them. Because you can spend a lot of time going like, mm, that one's interesting. That one's interesting. I wonder what that one is. And never get to the point where you actually like, use them. Okay? There's a command here. You here, every single one of you as a Christian, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, has one or many of these gifts. Gifts like prophecy. Gifts like service. Gifts like teaching, verse 7. Gifts like exhortation or encouragement, verse 8. Gifts like giving, he says, one who contributes. Gifts like leadership. Josh had already talked about, we're looking for names for elders and deacons. We sent something out to you guys so you can look through that and give us suggestions. And we would love for you guys to do that pretty soon. 
But there's all kinds of levels of leadership. And I, I really love how much I see the gift of leadership amongst you guys, not just with the elders, but like I'm thinking about like, well, like Missy and Brooke, they decided, you know what, we're going to have a Monday night study for women. And can we do that? And I'm like, absolutely do that. And so they did it. And it's awesome. And uh, Ian was like, I'm going to have a men's study on Tuesdays. How's that sound? I said, that's wonderful. You know, that's great. Or, uh, you know, David Bledsoe, he's like, we're going to do a book study at my house. This could be great. And uh, I'm like, that's awesome. Uh, ben and Muki years ago, they were like, hey, we don't have a youth ministry. We need one. And we want to do it. I'm like, that's amazing. We're going we're gonna to pay you nothing. Thank you. You know, it's like so cool. It's totally volunteer. Um, Scott and Nicole just recently were like, you know, we need a, a young adults ministry. People get out of high school, like they need somewhere to connect, which is an amazing type of ministry to get involved in. We want to start one, and they did. Muki um, started a, a women's meetup in the morning at the park, just totally did it. Scott Terry with this politics and theology night that he's doing this Tuesday. I mean, what I'm getting at here is, guys, is that if you have a ministry you want to do, you felt led to start something like that, just let us know. We would love to promote it. I trust almost all of you. Okay? Almost all of you. Almost. It's so close. I mean, it's probably one or two people. It's not bad. But we would love for you guys to, to do this. Or, you know, it often happens this way. Like, we're not doing anything for the needy. We're not doing anything for poor. Look at all these poor people. It's like, you know what that is? Calling. You know, like you want to start something, start something. You want help? We'll get you help. We'll let people know about it. People will go like, oh, I was hoping we'd have something like that, right? Elisa does it with the uh, seniors ministry. She's over there at Sun City Garden. Same kind of thing. We would love to rally the church to get behind you to do this. That's a gift of leadership. And man, it's a gift. Because so often people will do something like this and they'll go like, I just needed an invite. I just needed somebody to tell me where to go. You know, that's a gift of leadership. And so many of you have that. And it's a beautiful thing. Other gifts you might have, gift of mercy, other ones that aren't in this text, a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, miracles, healing, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and many, many more. There's tons of gifts in this room. And so what's really cool is we try to keep the kind of service as short as possible so that you guys could stay. And many of you stay well over an hour, use your gifts, you come early, use your gifts. It's amazing how much gift usage is happening here. First Corinthians 12 defines spiritual gifts as, this is so cool. So spiritual gifts are a manifestation of the spirit given to each believer for the common good, the common good of the church body. So you, all of you, like not me, yes, you have at least one spiritual gift and it's been given to you to give it to these people. Okay. This isn't theoretical. You have a gift, multiple and you need to give it to these people. It's as if, so Jesus has said to you, like, here's a gift, give this to my people. And you're like, oh, I don't really feel like I can. Or, oh, I don't really feel like I have a gift. And he's like, no, this is it. Give it to people. And you're like, no, I don't know if I can really. It's like, no, give it to them. And Jesus hands it to you, he says, give it to them. Like, you're like the FedEx guy. FedEx guy drives home with packages, he loses his job, right? Like, you've been given a gift to deliver, right, to others. And we need to do it. And don't be shy about it. It's something that God has. And what's so cool is when you, we were talking about pride earlier, when you use your gifts in the body and you really give yourself to these people, it really helps your pride, doesn't it? Does it really wear down your pride? How many of you guys have been really humbled in a good way by serving the church? Have you come away feeling like, you know what, I'm awesome. No, you don't, right? You come away going, being humbled. Jackie Hill Perry said this. She said, surely it is the imperfections of your church that God will use to perfect you. Amen? Surely it is the imperfections that God will use to perfect you. So here's how it works, just in review. 
You're amazed by the mercies of God, verse 1. You want to offer your life as a living sacrifice, verse 1. You strive to be transformed, not conformed to the world by the renewing of your mind, verse 2. You know you can't do it alone, verse 3. You know that you were born to be a part of the body, right? A part of the body, verses 4 through 5. And you act on that conviction by using your gifts. It's amazing, huh? It's beautiful. And what's really cool is it doesn't just stop with you. This isn't a program for you to, you know, realize your potential, right? It doesn't start with you. It doesn't end with you. It doesn't end even with our church. Because, guys, the church is God's design to reach the lost as well. So as you do this, you are doing something for the mission. Sometimes you all think about the mission is just out there, and it is out there. But it's also here. Jesus said this, John 13. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Do you know how that ends? Because you have hot takes on social media. No. No, okay. Here it here goes. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What is it? If you have love for one another. And so God, the Spirit, creates a real body here amongst Christians using their gifts, blessing one another. And then non-Christians are invited in to see and experience it. And that's what that's Jesus' plan. That's God's plan to present Jesus to the world, his body on earth. And because of that, we have to gather physically. Okay, and I know we had a time when we did something different, okay? A few months. But we have to get back to, we have to gather physically. The word for church is ecclesia. It means gathering. So it's essential. We actually have to gather together one another. And that's, you know, just so you know, that's the reason why we cut the live stream. You know, we cut the live stream because it's bad discipleship-wise. You know, and I know that there's some people that, you know, for whatever reason, they can't come and stuff. But there's a fair number of people, I'm not going to point you out, I'm not going to look, that we're online maybe half the time and coming half the time. And so we cut that thing, right? We cut it because the church is a gathering. The church is a physical gathering. And the church is a physical gathering, guys, because it's a display of who Christ is. That's what this is. And, you know, without the body gathering, there's no way to effectively show Christ to the world. We're only displaying his parts, <laughs> you know? You guys are afraid now. <laughs> They're like, severed hand, I wonder what that can mean, you know? Nothing good, right? They need to see the body. And I think that's really important for you guys evangelistically. Yes, we share the gospel alone. Yes, we share the gospel with just a couple of us. That's a very important part of our mission. But also to draw them into the body. Because they don't just need me, and they don't just need to see you. They need to see the body at work. That's what Jesus has called us to do. And so invite them to experience the body. And when they experience the body, they're not just going to experience teaching, what I'm doing right now, but they're going to experience prophecy and service and exhortation and generosity and all the other gifts that are there. They're going to see a full picture of Jesus. That's what God says it is. We're his body on earth together. And guys, this requires everyone. Everyone's important for this. Old people are important for this. How many old people are like, yes, that's great. Old people, let's hear it. Single people are important for this. Busy, important people are needed for this. Who's the busy, important people? Tired people are needed, okay? Hurt people are needed. Little people. I think this is something we need to think about. Children, you're very important in this. You know, when, when we invite a family to church and you're there and you're there to greet the other kids and be warm and invite them, that is just an amazing part that you play. So little people, you're important in imaging Christ. As we gather and we use our gifts to bless the people in this room, the Holy Spirit produces a picture of Christ. It's way more beautiful than its parts. 
doesn't that take a little bit of the evangelism pressure off? So you're going to go, you're going to share the gospel, and you always think, like, I don't know if my witness is good enough. I'm going to wait a couple of years so I can really impress them, and then I'll tell them the gospel, right? You do that kind of thing, right? Because you're thinking it's all about you and all about your life. And I'm sure your life is great, and you should just share the gospel now because, you know, who knows how long this will take. Let's share the gospel, and there's, they see Christ in your life, but it's not up to you. You're supposed to see Christ in the church body, right? It's not just about you. It's not just about the part you play. And it's really simple. Guys, this plan is so beautiful. It's so simple. I know it doesn't look flashy or even all that religious, but it works. This works. And I'll show you one way it works as we close. One way that it works. I don't know if you guys realize this, but when you look at Romans, take a look at your Bible or at your phone, from chapter 12 to chapter 16, I don't know if you guys realize this, but this is God's directive for a very small group of people in the Roman Empire to convert the empire. Whoa. Yes, exactly. That's what I thought. You know, this was God's directive to convert the empire. You, know, you got this tiny huddle of people, you know, in the first century, are pretty scared. Tiny band of faithful people gathering together, worship Christ in the middle of the most powerful empire in the world. And how are they going to stay faithful? And not only just how are they going to stay faithful, like there's some kind of little cloister, how are they going to convert the empire? And this is how, guys. And you know what? It worked. I don't know if you know the story, how it goes. It worked. Over the next few centuries, massive amounts of people converted to Christianity. And it's a strange story. It shouldn't have happened. And yet the, and Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire. And guys, the entire culture changed. Okay? The whole concept of human rights came from here. Okay? Like our founding documents say that, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident. They're not. They're totally not. I love the document. They're not self-evident. They weren't self-evident to the Romans. You know that all people are created equal and have intrinsic value. Like that is not self-evident. And we never would have gotten there either. You think, well, you've given enough time, we'd figure it out. Have you seen us? We would not figure this out. In the Roman Empire, guys, they did not hold human rights to be self-evident. Aristotle taught that slaves were mere living tools, basically equivalent to livestock. You're like, oh, I love Aristotle. Well, maybe not that part. We cancel him. The, the Roman Empire very commonly, guys, exposed infants. Okay, now I think it's sad. Exposed infants, so you had a baby, you didn't want another baby, or it's got a deformity, or it's a girl, or whatever. Exposure is just you put them outside. And that was normal and okay. You hear letters of Roman people, like there was this one letter that I could send you guys in the email, where this guy goes, hey, I'm doing great on my trip and stuff, and you know, I heard you're pregnant. If it's a girl, expose it. It's like just normal, like just, hey, by the way, you know, don't forget to pay the bills. And it says something like that. That was normal. That was okay for them. It was common. People fought each other and animals to the death for entertainment, for crowds. Okay? Not okay, Right? Powerful men were allowed to use others sexually, you know, like a Harvey Weinstein, the kind of a Me Too thing. There would be no Me Too in first century Rome. That was normal. You have the power, you can do whatever you want with whoever you want, right? That was totally normal. This is the world they lived in. Men were not expected to be faithful to their wives. Their wives were expected to be faithful to them, but the, the men were not expected to be faithful to their wives. That was the culture in the first century that this little band of people that this letter was written to, that's the culture they were in and almost no Christians. And you know what happened? They changed the entire culture. Our Western civilization is because this worked. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that amazing? They lived together in a body, in one body, in every city throughout the Roman Empire. 
They practiced Romans 12 through 16. They spoke the truth to the culture very clearly. They spoke the truth about Jesus and they practiced the way of Jesus. And these practices, you read them in chapter 12, they might look weak to you, but that's how the West was won. The Western Empire, I mean, the Western uh, civilization, that's how it was won. That's the stuff that you take for granted, these truths that are self-evident, came from Christians living the things in Romans 12. And the West needs to be won again. Did you notice? If you've been paying attention, you know that our culture is in a state of disintegration. I know pastors have always said that, but this time it really is disintegrating. (laughs) But there's massive confusion, right, guys? There's massive confusion about how to arrive at truth. There's confusion about whether there is truth, right? There's a real lack of reasonableness, right? Why? Because we don't know how to reason. You know, when you don't know how to reason, you're not reasonable. And the only thing left is fighting and yelling at each other and attacking each other, right? There's a lack of reasonableness. There's a real lack of forgiveness and reconciliation because we've lost all grace, which is only something you find in a biblical worldview. Guys, these are symptoms of something that's been happening for centuries, okay? The disintegration of the Western civilization is something that's been happening for centuries. It took centuries to get here. There's no quick fix. It's nobody's fault that you know. Okay, because I know like we all think, oh, it's your fault you voted for him. It's your fault you didn't vote for him. Like this has been going on for centuries. This is nobody you know did this. Okay, this is something there's no quick fixes, but there was no quick fix to the empire that these believers lived in. Right. And this is how the West was won. They lived in bodies tightly committed to each other. There was a living local body of Christ in every city throughout the empire. They spoke the truth. They practiced the way of Jesus. Let me read for you real quick what that practice looks like in chapter 12. It looked like this. This is the things they did to take the culture over. Okay, listen to this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. That's a surprise. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with everyone. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourself. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Does this sound like anybody you know? This is Romans 12. Who is this selling? This sounds just like Jesus. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I know what you might be thinking, you culture warrior, you, is that this looks weak and like surrender. But it's not. And if you think that, you've been discipled by the empire. This is the way that Jesus conquers the world. This is the way he conquers evil. It's surprising, I know. But that's the way he conquered evil on the cross. Let me read for you Colossians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The next sentence is strange. And by this, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Guys, the way that the lamb conquered the world is by the cross. And what we're doing as a church is just applying that. You know, we're just applying that victory. And that's the way we will conquer. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they conquered the dragon by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Guys, this is how Jesus' victory is applied to overcome the world. 
it, Paul promises them later at the end of Romans. He says that if they'll practice these things, he says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And he did. And he will for you. When you hear the emperors and the elites complaining in the first few centuries about the church, they're complaining about them doing stuff like in chapter 12. Oh man, they're caring for poor people. So frustrating. They're even caring for ours, you know? Talk like that, right? Because they know it's winning. It's working. This is the way, you know? This is the way. (laughs) Thank you. I don't know if that's Anglican or Mandalorian. Guys, you want to reach the lost, you want to change the culture, this is how it's done, by being actual Christians tightly knit together as one body on mission. Let's pray. Father, it is such an honor to be your body, your son's body on earth, that we could be Jesus' body. Wow, it's amazing. And so practical that we could live this life out together and that you would work through us is incredible. We pray, Lord, that you make us more and more faithful to serve the people here in this room You'd help us just to be to just be very practical and serve the people we see right in front of us. And that by it you would cause us to be a gathering that's a beautiful picture of Jesus that would give you glory and draw the lost to yourself. This is your body, these people, by your spirit. We're so thankful for it. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.